Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOCS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday, 12 noon, without fail, uh, to promote and to defend public education. And there's been a lot of activity up in New South Wales, a little bit down here in uh, Victoria, but not so much because uh, the public system always has been fairly active, had a lot of activists up in New South Wales, particularly around the New South Wales Teachers Federation. And the new government, the new Labor government there, uh, knows full well that they're in on, in many respects, the state school vote. But uh, the public education system up there, like around Australia, is in crisis because of lack of funding and uh, large enrolments and education more and more is no longer free but is becoming expensive even in our public schools especially for those who have limited funds but um, we have a press release which has been uh, issued by the uh, our, our our children our schools and uh, Kim is going to read it for us. Thanks, Jean. Uh, yeah, so this is press release 981. It's time to fund public schools properly and fairly. And the following press release has been issued by the public education group Every School, Every Child. Last week, the federal Labor government announced their budget for 2023 to 2024, including some small but significant commitments for public schools and teachers. $40 million for Central Australian schools. 36 public schools in Central Australia will be fully funding to 100% of the Schooling Resource Standard, or SRS. This funding will help deliver more teachers, more education support staff, and more one-on-one -on -one individual attention for students. Importantly, for public schools across the country, it is the first step towards the delivery of Federal Labor's 2022 election commitment to get every public school on the pathway to 100% of the SRS. $25 million to the Teacher Workload Reduction Fund. To help resol resolve the staffing shortage crisis, $25 million will go towards piloting new ways to reduce teacher workloads, plus another $10 million will be spent on a public campaign to raise the status of the teaching profession and draw new workers to the sector. <clears throat> a National Student Wellbeing Program. Previously, the Chaplaincy Program, the National Student Wellbeing Program, will now be open to non-religiously affiliated pastoral care workers and continue to be funded at $61.4 million per year. But what's missing? While we welcome targeted funding in the Northern Territory where students have the highest level of need, we know that outside of the Northern Territory, one in 10 public school students across the country is effectively underfunded. For federal labor to truly deliver, Prime Minister's Albanese vision for Australia when no one is held back and no one is left behind, this government must deliver 100% of the SRS funding needed for every Australian public school. That is the minimum benchmark agreed to by all governments. Next Thursday on the 25th of May, it's Public Education Day, an opportunity for us to celebrate the impact of public education and call on the federal government to deliver full and fair funding for public schools. Keep an eye out for ways you can get involved next week. In the meantime, we need more to ensure every child in every public school gets the support they need. You can find out more at www.everyschooleverychild.org.au forward slash join. Back well, to you, Jen. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Kim. 
Now, The Guardian has taken up the uh, call too. Uh, it's very interesting. The Albanese government is spending, just in direct grants, $28 billion on schools in the next year. But the question is, where do they spend it? And Caitlin Cassidy of The Guardian has a very interesting article. Back to you, Kim. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, so this article is written by Caitlin Cassidy and was published in The Guardian on the 12th of May this year. Uh, it's titled Central Australian Schools Get Record Federal Funding as Labor Aims to Halt Public Education Flight. Albanese government will spend $28 billion on schools in 2023-24, but unions demand more to improve retention rates. Public schools in Central Australia will meet the minimum education funding benchmark for the first time since the Gonski reforms were introduced under the new federal budget. But the Greens say more needs to be done to close the gap between public and private education. The Albanese government will spend a record high of $28 billion on schools in 2023 to 2024, Tuesday's budget confirmed, rising to $31.4 billion in 2026 to 2027. Government schools will receive an extra 5.7% in federal funding, totaling $10.8 billion in the next financial year, while private and Catholic schools will have their funding increased by 4.8% to $17.4 billion. The figures do not represent the entire funding for all sectors. Most funding for public schools comes from state governments. The extra $590 million to government schools is well short of the billions demanded by teachers' unions. The Education Minister Jason Clare said while funding per student was going up, the number of students attending public schools was going down. School funding is allocated based on projected enrolments, with data showing parents are continuing to turn away from public education to the private sector. If that's not proof of why we need serious reform in education, I don't know what is. I want public education to be the first choice of parents, Claire said. <clears throat> if we are serious about breaking the cycle of disadvantage, this is where we have got to do it. For the first time, Central Australia will meet full funding of the Schooling Resource Standard, or SRS, the minimum benchmark to provide a decent education agreed to by governments after receiving $40 million in the budget to improve student outcomes. Only the ACT had previously achieved the benchmark set out more than a decade ago in the Gonski Review of School Funding. Claire signed a pledge for each school to reach 100% of its SRS funding at the New South Wales Teacher Federation Principals Conference last week. The federal president of the Australian Education Union, Corinne Haythorpe, said while $40 million may not be much compared with other budget commitments, it was important to be clear about what it represents. For public school students in Central Australia, that funding will deliver more teachers, more education support staff and more one-on-one -on -one individual attention, she said. For public schools across the country, it is the first, albeit small, step towards the delivery of Labor's 2022 election commitment to get every public school on the pathway to 100% of the SRS. But it cannot be the only step. The Australian Education Union has been calling for an extra $6.5 billion a year in public school funding to address growing disparities in the sector. Since 2017, high school retention rates have dropped from 83% to 76% in public schools while remaining relatively steady at non-government schools. For students from poorer backgrounds, just 74% complete high school. Haythorpe said the Northern Territory had the highest level of student need. Almost half of its students are First Nations students, a quarter have a disability, and one in five public school students are underfunded. It's one in 10 public school students across the nation, she said, 
That is a national shame. Green spokesperson on school, Senator Penny Orman Payne, said a public schools across the country are struggling to attract and retain teachers and meet the needs of their students. Labor says it wants to put all public schools on a pathway to full funding, but under the current national school reform agreement, public schools will never receive 100% of their SRS. The agreement was postponed until next year under Labor. The budget also outlined $254 million to be injected to improve Indigenous education outcomes, including $38.4 million for children in remote areas, $11 million for national Indigenous languages, and $21.6 million for a boarding grants program. A further $9.3 million on top of the previously announced $328 billion for the National Teacher Workforce Action Plan will also be allocated to address workforce shortages. Independent Schools Australia's Chief Executive Graham Catt said the budget providing funding certainty but questioned a plan to save $1.9 million over four years by improving funding integrity in non-government schools, citing a lack of detail over how it would be achieved. In budget papers, the government said it would strengthen safeguards for non-government schools to encourage compliance oversight and ensure funding was used for the purpose intended. Back well, those you. last two paragraphs are the interesting ones, if I may suggest. Um, it looks as if uh, they're, they're trying to do something for the really, really, really disadvantaged uh, sectors of the public system, particularly in the Northern Territory, but it needs to be extended. That idea needs to be extended throughout the rest of the nation. However, the Independent Schools Australia Chief Executive is a little bit concerned about money, $1.9 million, to improve funding integrity in non-government schools. Uh, that must mean, of course, that there is a lack of integrity in the funding compliance uh, in uh, non-government schools. And there's a question as to whether or not the funding is being used for the purpose intended. Now, the dogs for the last 50 years have been pointing out that the money has often been going astray and it's becoming more and more obvious that the private sector uh, cannot be trusted with the education of our children. Uh, firstly, because uh, they have molested our children in some instances, but also and abused children, but also because they uh, have abused the trust placed in them by taxpayers by giving them taxpayer money. Uh, they are not always compliant. And uh, the privatisation of education, of course, is a little bit like the privatisation of the tax system and it's starting to get a rather bad odour around the nation. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to talk a little bit more about the budget because this program uh, is uh, giving you information on the federal budget. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
ICR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Well, this is the Dogs Program. If you're still listening to 3CR, Saturday afternoon, and um, we're still on about the uh, federal budget and its uh, implications for education. There hasn't been terribly much of it in the in the papers, but um, the Australian Education Union has a press release on it, and Sol is going to read that for us. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So, yes, this is the federal budget full funding for Central Australian public schools represents what's possible, a press release written by the AEU. One of the federal budget's smallest commitments, $40 million to ensure every school in Central Australia is fully funded, potentially represents one of the most important steps forward for the future of Australian public schools. Australian Education Union Federal President Karina Haythorpe welcomed the commitment. While $40 million may not be much compared to other federal budget commitments, it's important that we're clear about what it represents. For public school students in Central Australia, it represents full funding to 100% of the schooling resource standard, the SRS, in the region. That funding will help deliver more teachers, more education support staff, and more one-on-one individual attention for students. For public schools across the country, it is the first, albeit small, step towards the delivery of federal Labor's 2022 election commitment to get every public school on the path to 100% of the SRS. But it cannot be the only step. The Northern Territory has the highest level of student need, 44% of students are First Nations, and 26% of students have disability and receive educational adjustments. However, right now, the education of one in five school students in the Northern Territory is effectively underfunded, or unfunded, sorry, that's even worse. It's one in 10 public school students across the nation. That is a national shame. For federal labour to truly deliver Prime Minister Albanese's vision for Australia, when no one is held back and no one is left behind, this government must deliver 100% of the SRS funding needed for every Australian public school. That is the minimum benchmark agreed to by all governments. AEU members will not accept anything less than full and fair funding for public schools, Ms Haythorpe said. The AEU also welcomed the federal government's commitments to TAFE. This budget represents a huge step forward for the nation's TAFE institutions. The government has made a $4.1 billion commitment, including $3.7 billion for the next National Skills Agreement, a life-changing document for our members as it sets up the framework for a strong and vibrant TAFE system for the future. We welcome the spirit of collaboration between the Commonwealth and the states and territories that is evident in the negotiations for the next National Skills Agreement. 
and the Albanese's government, the government's commitment to ensuring TAFE is at the heart of vocational education and that it's supported by long-term, sustainable and stable funding. We were disappointed that this federal budget does not include funding to extend universal access to preschool to three-year-olds. This flies in the face of all available evidence that shows two years of high-quality, play-based early learning delivered by a qualified teacher helps set children up for a lifetime of benefits in education, health and well-being. This funding must be provided for the benefit of all Australian children and their families. And back over to Eugene. Well, thank you very much. So uh, the uh, AU, uh, all around Australia, the different groups in the different uh, states have produced this, this very interesting media release. So thank you very much. They seem to think that the Albanese government has made a few of the first steps, but is it good enough? And uh, at least in New South Wales, the New South Wales Teachers Federation have been really, really working hard for their teachers Maddie's going to tell us what the results of their efforts have been. Over to you, Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. This article is called Significant Win for Temporary Teachers Seeking Permanency. More than 11,000 temporary teachers will be offered a permanent job with the Department of Education after Federation secured broadening of the eligibility criteria in negotiations with the new MINS government. Deputy President Henry Rahendra said... Improvements would benefit temporary teachers whose circumstances influence their pattern of employment, including child-rearing responsibilities. We know that far too many teachers for far too long have been employed in a temporary role when they should have been permanent, he said. How Federation achieved the improvements, given temporary teacher numbers had increased by a staggering 83%, while permanent teacher numbers increased by only 1%, during the 12 years of the coalition government. In the lead-up to the state election, Federation sought a commitment from New South Wales Labor to address the situation if it formed government. In October last year, opposition leader Chris Minns announced an election commitment to convert 10,000 temporary teachers into permanent roles. Within 12 hours, clearly caught out, former Education Minister Sarah Mitchell matched the announcement. The criteria under the previous government included completing a minimum of three years of temporary employment at one school at the end of 2022 and being employed in a temporary engagement or engagements at the same school for all of 2023. The previous government refused to broaden this criteria, denying so many temporary teachers, predominantly women, the offer of a permanent job, Mr Rahendra said. The election of the MINS government provided the union the opportunity to pursue a broadening of the eligibility criteria to maximise the number of temporary teachers offered permanent work. We therefore welcome the Education Minister's recent announcement to address this. It's a great start with a promise of more to come, Mr Rahendra said. Improvements to the eligibility criteria for conversion from temporary to permanent positions under the Temporary Workforce Transition Project are, one, periods of paid and unpaid parental leave during temporary engagements will be counted as eligible service at a school, two, periods where teachers are not employed as temporary teachers due to child-rearing purposes for up to two years will be counted as eligible service where there is a history of employment at a school, 
three, teachers who are eligible and working in a part-time temporary engagement in 2023 due to child-rearing responsibilities will be offered a full-time permanent position from 2024 if they request it, and the increased cost will be funded by the department. Four, eligible teachers who only hold casual approval to teach who meet the eligibility criteria to be considered for transition to permanent employment will still be eligible, subject to a review of their approval to teach and full approval to teach will not be unreasonably denied. And five, the decision by a school to identify any permanent position created under the Temporary Workforce Transition Project as access to school requirements will be a rigorous and transparent process based on a detailed rationale, which has included consultation with relevant staff in the school approved by the school workforce directorate. The department has also agreed to establish a special consideration process for those temporary teachers unreasonably excluded from an offer of permanent employment under this program. Further details can be sought from Federation, including your organiser. Please note, permanent positions established under the Temporary Workforce Transition Project are above and beyond a school's staffing entitlement. The department has reaffirmed that principals must progress recruitment for any permanent entitlement vacancy consistent with the current staffing agreement between the Department of Education and the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Federation, well, up there in Australia, I'm sorry, up there in New South Wales, um, they're starting to listen to what the teachers require. After mm. all, if you don't have a permanent position, you can't get a mortgage, can you? No. They've treated the teachers really rather badly up there. And I'm wondering whether or not Mr Andrews should take a leaf out of uh, Min's book because there's a lot of teachers here in Victoria who should be permanent who are still temporary also. Uh, it all started way back in the Mr Kennedy era. But in the old days, if you were well qualified and uh, you came out of university and you taught for a year and you got your teaching certificate, then you were permanent. You had a job for life. But... Um, it seems that uh, the desire to have a docile workforce has put many, many teachers on a, a very insecure basis indeed in this country. So it's no wonder that they can't persuade people to get into the schools to teach our children. Thanks very much for that. Yes, we'll have a bit of a break now, but before we do, we'd like to remind you that in a few weeks we'll be coming to you for money for the 3CR Radiothon Drive. We need money. We need money to keep our, not only the dogs, but 3CR on the air. So it will be Radiothon in a couple of weeks, so start having a look at your bank balances, please. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. You're still listening to the Drugs Program on 3CR on this lovely Saturday afternoon. And um, we're now going to go back to the federal sphere. Mr. Clare, Jason Clare, is a very interesting Minister for Education in the Albanese government. And uh, we're hoping that he might be a mover and shaker. He's taking a while to get there. But let's hear about him from Seoul. Over to you, Seoul. Thanks, Jean. So Jason Clare is the boy from Western Sydney who's plotting generational reform for education. As Paul Sakal writes, asylum seekers and the children of poorer first-generation migrants surrounded a young Jason Clare at Cabramatta Primary School in Sydney's West. Some told stories about boats and the high seas. Clare, whose parents didn't finish year 10, keeps in touch with those classmates now they include doctors, engineers, and multi-millionaire business owners. Their life-altering experience being taught by passionate educators in working-class Sydney infuses what Claire, who now sits at the federal cabinet table as education minister, says are amongst the biggest mooted reforms to Australia's education system in a generation. That's the power of education. It changes lives. It's given me a chance my parents never had, he said in an interview. Education policy, regarded as the political strong point for Labor, has not been front and centre in the Albanese government's first year. But the 51-year-old Claire's agenda is packed with big plans. Finally, giving public schools as much funding as the Gonski plan said they needed, overhauling universities and reducing reliance on international students, and paving the way for universal free childcare in the labour tradition of Medicare and superannuation. He has commissioned three root and branch reviews of school funding, universities and early childhood education to move towards these goals. All of them will make recommendations to Claire this year, which he dubs the year of ideas. The cabinet, Claire says, will then act next year, the year of implementation. The MP for the Western Sydney seat of Blacksland won't speculate on how much it will all cost. He knows it won't be cheap and emphasises Labor's core value to treat education as an investment rather than a cost. Each report will be important, but together they could be transformational, he said. 
pointing to the long-term boosts to material living standards derived from making Australians smarter and our economy more sophisticated. There's a potential here for big reform that could change the lives of Australians for decades to come. It's nation-changing. The inquiries are being conducted by three eminent women. Former New South Wales Chief Scientist Mary O'Kane, Universities, Gender Equality Academic and Productivity Commission Associate Commissioner Deborah Brennan, Childcare, and Lisa O'Brien, a former head of the Smith Family, family Poverty Alleviation Charity, Schools. These aren't technical reviews designed to deliver bland recommendations. Claire has asked for bold ideas from the three women who met with the minister at Uniting Dove Cottage Preschool Centre in Bankstown. It's these children, many of whom are from new migrant families like those Claire grew up with, whose lives will benefit most from the ideas circling through the heads of the women joining them for a visit. An aim to reduce long-term disadvantage and tamp down burgeoning inequality is at the heart of each of the three endeavours. Claire wants to set measurable targets to hold future governments to account for raising education levels among groups such as Aboriginal children and those in depressed regional areas and pockets of generational disadvantage across Australia, whom Claire says have missed out as the better off children have flourished over the past few decades. That opportunity hasn't reached into every corner of the country, and this is a chance to make sure it does, he said. I don't want us to be a country where your chances in life depend on who your parents are, where you live or the colour of your skin. But that's where we are at the moment. And the work that Deb, Lisa and Mary are doing is about changing that. O'Kane, leading the university probe, said she would examine funding governance, the types of universities we create, equity and shaping a higher education system that transformed Australia into a world-leading knowledge economy. The vision here is if we can really make use of our incredible people talent, we can really create a better and more prosperous life for our whole country with no one left behind, she said. To do that, we need a much more skilled workforce. O'Brien, whose expert panel on schools has been billed as the last best chance to get Australians' school system to the level outlined under the 2011 Gonski report, said her time at the Smith family showed her what education did for young people's lives. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. And uh, over to Dale. Is New South Wales education in for big changes or is the whole of Australia in for big changes for that matter? Thanks, Jean. I've got an article by Chris Bonner asking, is New South Wales education in for big changes? Let's hope so. With the New South Wales election behind us, the media is mulling over what Labor has in store for the Premier State. The Sydney Morning Herald recently unpacked the agenda of Education Minister Prue Carr. There's much to cheer about, but will she deal with the deep-seated problems? The cheers are well-deserved. After a promising start, the coalition had lapsed back into the resonating but useless school reforms straight out of the Tory playbook. As well described by John Frew, the bureaucrats running the show increasingly came loaded with tertiary management qualifications, but little in the way of school experience. 
For the system and its schools, this meant that excess supervision and stress increasingly replaced trust and support. Even highly respected principals fell foul of the system, many never to return, and few wanting to take their place. At the classroom end, teachers are in short supply, with little evidence that the best among their students would ever want to join their ranks. Prukar seems focused on ending all that and more. She has sacked the education secretary, replaced in the interim by an effective and respected school system leader. Hopefully some of the business college graduates further down the food chain might take a quiet walk. She plans to reduce the administration workload of teachers and will be reviewing policies on student behaviour, school reports and more. She has made positive noises about teacher salaries and teacher supply. One firm commitment she's made is to bring New South Wales public schools to 100% of the SRS. That's fine as long as the funding is for the schools and not for other costs that are only loosely related to schools, as is the current case. But there is a related problem that needs an early and structural fix. Currently, the Commonwealth contributes 80% of the public funding going to private schools, and the states contribute 80% of public school costs. Hence, there is a perverse incentive for state governments to support the establishment of private schools. Once set up, the running costs are met by the Commonwealth and parents rather than by the states. The Australian taxpayer does not save by funding private schools, but the state treasuries certainly save if someone else builds and runs them. This might help explain the expansion of low-fee private schools on the fringes of our cities. In speaking to the Herald's Lucy Carroll, Prukar observed, Where I grew up in Western Sydney, governments have not built enough schools. To solve this problem, the new minister might have to do battle with the nation, on the national stage and maybe even with the New South Wales Treasurer. Structural change is needed on another front. Prukar has prioritised turning around academic performance. This is usually pitched as a school quality challenge, but there are many layers. The reality is that high achievers still exist, but they have progressively shifted from comprehensive schools, mainly but not only in the public sector, to high SES and selective schools. This trend presents a formidable challenge. In the 2006 HSC, high achievers in the New South Wales public schools were spread 45% in low and 55% in high SES schools. The spread is now 28 to 72. The achievers have scrambled up the SES ladder and have taken their high scores with them. Schools at the lower SES end have dramatically changed. Not only have they lost their high achievers, in the process they have accumulated many more strugglers, far more than is the case in other states. New South Wales enrolls 30% of Australia's school students, but accounts for almost half of all Australian students in, high, in schools with high and increased concentrations of disadvantage. It is almost as if New South Wales decided to assign its strugglers to the schools least equipped to support them. By any standards, this is beyond shameful. 
It would be easy to blame all this on families and the mechanisms of school choice. But one in every 10 New South Wales secondary public schools is now a selective school, and they account for just over half of the HSC distinguished achievers, CAs, in New South Wales public schools. Additional schools in the pipeline will take this closer to 60%. It isn't hard to join the dots between this trend and the, and the crowding of low achievers in other schools. The latter are almost literally in a class of their own peers, with all that that means for their learning outcomes. To rely on endless within-school reform within such schools to restore their achievement profile without addressing wider structural issues and peer effects borders on futility. It is a structural problem and needs a structural solution. The solution might not be as elusive as often assumed. The Coalition has had proposed and Labor has accepted the establishment of two and possibly three new selective schools in Western Sydney. But there's no reason why they have to be standalone brick and mortar places, and they shouldn't be anchored to a selection process which is arguably overcated for the high test achievers without reaching all gifted and high potential students. There are other modes of operation, learning, learning designs and platforms which could enhance the effectiveness of the new schools without diminishing opportunities for those not selected. In taking on challenges, the new education ministers often go for the usual low-hanging fruit in school reform. Prue Carr seems to be made of sterner stuff. She should be cheered on, but she will need to go much further and deeper if the cheering is to become sustained applause. And that was from Chris Bonner. Back to you, Jean. Oh, thank you, Dale. And we'll just have a bit, a bit of a break for a very important announcement. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 9419 8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Yes, well, we've been talking about Australia and New South Wales, uh, not so much on, on Victoria this, this uh, session, but um, the time has come to go overseas with Jeff. 
to the USA and the UK. And to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Uh, chaplains could be in Texas public schools this fall under a new bill, says Terry Collins from the USA Today, in the USA Today News, uh, recent article. Lawmakers in Texas have passed a bill that could allow chaplains to work in public schools as soon as the 2023-24 academic year. Texas House members passed Senate Bill 763 on Monday, which will permit, permit school districts to hire chaplain, chaplains. Unlike school counsellors in the state who must have a master's degree and two years of classroom teaching experience, the chaplains are not required to be certified by the State Board for Educator Certification. Chaplains, however, must pass a background check, be endorsed by a religious organisation, and must have some training to meet the Department of Defence chaplain standards. A chaplain is a certified clergy member who offers spiritual support, typically, typically in, in non-religious settings outside of a church. A school chaplain may be available to counsel and guide students and staff. A chaplain may even lead a prayer, a service, or even teach classes, depending on the school. The chaplain passage in Texas comes amid an ongoing debate nationwide on the use of religion in public schools. A 2019 Pew Research Centre survey said some forms of religious expression are relatively common in public schools. Many Texas Republican legislators strongly favoured the chaplain in schools bill as objecting Democratic lawmakers preferred the measure go to uh, Grand Ole Party Governor Greg Abbott, according to the Religion News Service. The, the, the vote fell along party lines, with 89 members voting in favour and 58 voting in opposition. House members passed an amended version of the bill on Tuesday that prohibits registered sex offenders from serving as chaplains, thank goodness for that, to institute background checks and requires those serving in the role to be endorsed by an organisation recognised by the United States Department of Defence, the Federal Bureau of Prisons or the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. So if it's good enough for the criminals, it's okay for our kids. Texas State Republican Cole Hefner, a Rep Republican who sponsored the bill, said it would be up to each individual school district to decide whether to hire chaplains. Hefner said local school boards could require a master's degree and post-degree training, Spectrum News reported. I want to make sure that we're making it clear that everybody knows that schools may choose to do this or not, and that they can put whatever rules and regulations in place that they see fit, says Hefner, responding to a question from his Democratic counterpart, Republican uh, James Tallarico, a former formal school teacher. I think, just to be blunt with you, we can trust the school boards to do that, Hefness added. Tallarico said he had his, has his doubts about the new bill. I worry that this bill will lead to Christian nationalists infiltrating our public schools and indoctrinating our students, Tallarico told Religion News Service on Tuesday. Having a chaplain in public schools, Texas schools, may be an ongoing debate. Two lawmakers had a very testy exchange this week, News Nation reported. Some state representatives have concerns about endorsing one religion and several wanted the bill to be require parental consent and force students to have the option to request a chaplain of a specific faith. I think we need to give our school districts every tool we can in the toolbox with all that we've been experiencing with mental health issues and catastrophes and crises, Hefner said. You're a champion for parental rights, so I'm just curious why parental consent before a student can meet with a chaplain is not acceptable to you in this legislation, Tallarico asked. Well, we currently do not require parental consent to meet with school counsellors, Hefner said. And that's where the debate is currently in Texas. Um, yeah, they don't require parental consent to meet with school counsellors, but school counsellors had 
have to have a master's degree and two years of teaching experience. It's a very different option. And this one's from the Tribune Review, which is from Western Pennsylvania from the May 15th, 2023. And it's written by Emily Miller. And she said, there's another side to the school choice question. Emily says, how does this fit in with our system of self-governance? How does this work with taxation and representation? Our system of self-governance conceived by our founding fathers is a constitutional republic in which at every level, local, state and national, we elect from amongst ourselves representatives to make decisions regarding policies, bills, taxation, etc. We have a duty to keep tabs on our representatives by reading and paying attention to the policies and bills being discussed, as well as on how our representatives voted. We can discuss with our representatives our stance on these policies and bills and on how our taxes, our hard-earned money, are being used. We can vote for other people to represent us if need be. None of this happens with school choice, ironically, I say. Parents who are not elected take their neighbours' school tax dollars and use at whatever charter school they choose. And this money is used in the way a charter school wishes. Taxpayers do not have a say in this. The members of charter schools, otherwise known as private schools here uh, in Australia, but members of charter school boards are selected rather than elected. Even if a publicly elected school director is eventually required by law to sit on a charter school board, which has been proposed, that will still not provide taxpayers recourse since none of the other charter school board members are elected. Wastefulness by charter schools cannot be checked by taxpayers since there is no elected representation. Pennsylvania cyber charter schools alone recently spent $35 million in tax dollars on advertising over a two-year period. Advertising. If a charter school fails, tax dollars are simply lost. Taxpayers do not have an opportunity to try and rectify the problems at the school by demanding improvements in curriculum or pedagogy or anything. So the function of charter schools amounts to private gain, public loss and taxation without representation. Parents and taxpayers have the responsibility to make sure their local public schools and their elected representatives on public school boards are educating students to effectively shoulder these responsibilities of adulthood and citizenship, as well as making wise use of tax dollars. How can taxpayers keep track of the possibly 15 or so charter schools operating in their local school districts? Further, the data on charter schools indicates that most charter schools in Pennsylvania are not doing any better than public schools at educating students, and actually quite a few of them are doing worse, particularly cyber charter schools. According to Stanford's Centre of Research on Education Outcomes 2019 report, over 80% of Pennsylvania charter schools perform below the 50th percentile in both reading and maths achievement. I have great sympathy for parents whose kids are in districts where the education is not as good as it could be. Improving a school's education can take years of hard work. But eroding our system of self-governance and taxing our citizenry all the while without representation is not the answer. There are certainly many problems in public education coming from many directions. But when everyone pays close attention to our local public school districts, to the quality of the curriculum and their dedication to excellence, as well as to the departments of education, whether or not we have had kids enrolled or not, education can be improved. Our republic depends upon it. So there they are. That's a really good summary argument, I think, as to when public funds are used for private schools and there is simply no representation for the taxpayer in order to um, keep uh, a track or improve things. And if the, if the school folds, the money is effectively washed away, so into private hands. 
Anyway, we're going to go across the ditch as we like to. And there's an article in The Guardian on the 15th of May by Sally Wheel, who's the education correspondent for The Guardian. Uh, the, the title of the article is Poor Housing, a Growing Barrier to School Attendance in England, a Charity Reveals. School Home Support finds proportion of children citing such concerns has risen 73% year on year. Wow. Insecure, unsuitable and poor quality housing is increasingly a barrier to children going to school, according to an education charity that works with persistently absent pupils and their families to improve school attendance in England. School Home Support, SHS, which tries to address the root causes of high absence rates throughout the whole family support, says 19% of the pupils it works with cite where they live as a major barrier to school attendance. The data comes at a time when ministers, policymakers and school leaders are increasingly concerned about higher levels of absence in many schools in England since the COVID pandemic and are developing initiatives to try to get children back into class. The proportion of children citing housing concerns as an obstacle to attendance jumped from 11% last year to 19% this academic year, a year-on-year -year increase of 73%, according to SHS, which says housing is now one of the top three issues for pupils it supports. The other two are feelings and behaviour, cited by 27% of respondents, and confidence and self-esteem, cited by 25%. The data is drawn from a cohort of 383 young people whom the charity worked with in the 22-23 autumn and spring terms. The children it works with include those whose families may have been forced to move into temporary accommodation or in an emergency refuge for their own safety and suddenly find themselves a long way from school. Unsuitable housing or poor housing is where there's no space to study or do homework, also make it challenging for pupils to engage with their studies and attend school regularly, the charity says. Attendance data from the Department of Education, DfE, reveals that absences in the spring term this year will be still 50% higher than before the pandemic, while in 2021-22, more than one in five secondary pupils were persistently absent, missing 10% or more, or more of sessions. Increased anxiety and lack of mental health support are thought to be among the other factors behind the increase in children missing school since the COVID pandemic, with some children struggling to even leave the house. In one SHS study, Ben, not his real name, and his mother were living in a refuge after a domestic violent incident. The refuge was miles away from school and Ben's mother was unable to afford a bus fare every day, so he missed one in five classes a week. The family was referred to SHS, which worked with them to secure council housing. Their support worker also encouraged Ben to join the school homework club, club to catch up on missed lessons and his attendance improved. Yeah, SHS's Chief Executive Officer, Jane Stannard, acknowledged recent government efforts to improve attendance, but said schools needed dedicated funding to provide pastoral as well as academic catch-up support for those children struggling to engage. Our remit is to improve attendance, but when practitioners start to work with a family, the priority is to find out what is going on for that family and dig a little deeper into barriers to school. If you're living in temporary accommodation miles away from school or have spent the last night in a car, that needs to be the priority conversation. There are no quick fixes. Conversations about attendance can come later on. By addressing underlying causes of poor attendance early on, we can prevent issues from escalating. A government spokesperson said schools, trust, trusts and local authorities should always work together with other local partners to understand the barriers to attendance and provide support for families where needed. Uh, that's a good article, and it really does highlight it's the difference between wealthy families with no problems and families who are struggling.
in many ways, including social ways, that really inhibits um, people getting the full benefit of public education. And it's so much a part of the equation. We have to be looking at it in every every place we, we can. Anyway, thank you. And back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Jeff. And now we have the best news of the week, our great state school. Over to you, Paddy. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school is Keelor Downs College. Congratulations, Keelor Downs College. I am going to read you the principal's welcome, and it goes as so. Keelor Downs College is a vibrant secondary college offering a rich array of opportunities and choices for our students. We foster meaningful relationships between teachers, students, and their peers. We are known for providing a safe, calm and orderly environment conducive to high quality teaching and learning. The college has a very strong record of achievement at VCE and provides a particularly broad range of VCE subjects. There is also a strong, vibrant VCAL program which has extremely positive outcomes for applied and vocational learners. An emphasis of the college is its strong student support structure, with each individual student being known and supported academically and personally through our house structure. Student leadership is also a strong element of the college with an extremely active student leadership group working across many areas. Since 2002, we have delivered a highly regarded SEAL program, which is Select Entry and Accelerated Learning Program which delivers excellent outcomes for their gifted students. The college also operates a successful international students program, which is ISP, study skills, mentoring and enrichment programs and ongoing relationships with universities and TAFE colleges help students build confidence and achieve their aspirations. Our goal is to provide every student with the individual support they need to achieve their full potential and ensure students feel a strong sense of belonging to our school. Parents can be assured that their child will be guided throughout their secondary school years by professional, committed and caring teachers. And that was the principal's statement from Linda Maxwell. I'm going to shoot you some facts and figures now from the Akara My School website. There are 1,281 students enrolled at this school. The ICSIA value is just above average at 1,004. 11% of the students come from the upper quartile of parental income, 25% from the second highest quartile. In the third quartile, there is 31% of the students, and in the lowest quartile, there is 33% of the students. So it is a school which is representative of the disadvantaged Australian community with 65% speaking a language other than English and 2% Indigenous students. Now to finances. The Australian government provides $4.2 million annually. The Victorian government $16.6 million. Fees and parental contributions amount to $807,000 and other private contributions amount to $188,000. It costs $15,876 to send a school to this, a student to this school, 
and um, their capital is only $647,000 over three years. So congratulations, Keylor Downs College, and thank you to the parents, the teachers, and the community that surround them. You are our great state school of the week. Well, thank you, Maddie. And that's it for this afternoon. And we thank Dale, our wonderful producer, and Kim and Maddie and Sorrel and Kim Jeff. But from all of us now, it is bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.